it's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out all of our other wonderful links in the description on Linktree. This week's episode, The Westall UFO Incident. Or encounter? Timing. Incident or encounter? I'm not sure. A L- little bit of both, I yeah. suppose. I mean, it definitely wasn't a, an abduction, but... No. I did find some stories of people saying that they had missing time, but those that was not the majority of witnesses. And what happened with this one is that in, people were interviewed many years after the fact, like 40 years, 50 years, or whatever it is after the incident. Yeah. And some people came forward who probably didn't actually go to that school and probably were just making up their accounts because they had details that nobody else had. So some of the stuff is sort of suspect. I did see some missing time reports, but it's hard to validate that stuff. If you look at all of the reports, at least the stuff I could find that was contemporary to the sightings or at least not that far after, I didn't see any reports of missing time in any of that stuff. But, hey, you never know. If it's missing time and you don't remember, how are you going to report it, right? True enough. All right. So this this episode, the topic was chosen by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support the show, get yourself on Patreon. We've got three tiers. We've got early access, bonus content, and at the highest tier, you get to vote for what topic we do next. This one was voted, and I, I'm glad they chose it because it is excellent. I'd heard of it before. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't super familiar with it. I just sort of heard of it, and it is a good one. So let's get into it. Talking about Westall High School in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Or Australia? Don't they say Australia? Isn't that how they pronounce it over well, there? I don't know. <laughs> To be quite honest, I don't know. I know that the uh, Melbourne is uh, pronounced Melbourne, I think. Like, yeah. Within. Yeah, that's what I, I heard actually an interview where somebody from Australia was pronouncing it Melbourne. I would say Melbourne, but it sounded like Melbourne yeah, to me. Yeah, well, by the way, it's it's spelt. I, I would think that's how you pronounce it. I know that's that's how we pronounce it here over in the uh, United States, but that's not a noife. A noife. <laughs> All right, get it right. Okay. Yeah. It's a, uh, oh. Aussie Mima, Aussie Mima says Straya. Okay. Thank you for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, there's also different accents. I have heard different interviews from people from, uh, from down under, and I've heard it pronounced differently from different regions, but uh, Straya is okay. That, that works for me. So, all right. Anyways, we're talking about something that happened on April 6th, 1966 at 11 a.m., Now, as you know, we've talked about before on this show, 1966 was a crazy year for UFOs, just absolutely insane. And we'll get into a little bit of that later, just a little bit. It's a hot spot. 
It was, it, dude. It, it was, it was popping off. 1966 mm-hmm. might be the like the the most sightings worldwide of any year, and not just sightings worldwide, just sort of random stuff, but sightings that seem very similar to each other all over the globe. In this particular case at Westall High School, and I guess there was also an elementary school that was like bordering it, so you had kids of all ages, but. This one is usually called uh, Westall and usually refers to the high school. Anyways, April 6th, 1966 at 11 a.m. Students and teachers witnessed a UFO. And I found descriptions between 200 or 300 people who saw it there. I couldn't find an exact count or tabulation of all the witnesses, but it was a lot. Hundreds of people and, you know, the lowest estimate, 200 that's yeah. a lot. That is what you call a mass sighting. Oh, yeah. The definition of. And that's one of the things that like, I find very, very interesting about this, uh, this encounter or you know, whatever it is. You know, it, it's, it's so compelling how many people had that experience. You know? And there's a lot of people that describe their, you know, their encounter, their, what they witnessed, what have you. And these are the kind of cases that really get, like, like perks my ears. You know what I mean? Like. Like, uh, I, I, I'm really interested in this kind of stuff, you know, because these are, like I said, like you said, a mass sighting and like, it's in, in, in a large way, this is the kind of incident that is hard to just brush off to the side. You know what I mean? It, it's hard to ignore this kind of an incident, you know, even though like some of the evidence, I mean, there's not like a, a ton of like, like hard evidence, but there's a lot of testimony. But yeah, I still find I still find that, you know, still very compelling because a lot of these people and we'll get into it, a lot of these people that give testimony about what they witnessed seem to be, you know, pretty on. I, I think they're honest, you know, like I think they, they're telling exactly what they think they saw or what they did see, whatever, you know, however you, you want to, uh, you know, look at it, you know, but like. This is this is a very compelling case. I mean, it's it's a it's a big one. This is one of the biggest ones. Yeah, to be quite honest, I think you know. Well, and you you have certain cases like one of the ones we did last time, the Betty Andreessen abduction, where you mm-hmm. don't really have that many witnesses. You pretty much just have one person telling a story, so it's super easy to just dismiss that story and say, "Well, I just don't believe her. It doesn't sound real to yeah. me. I'm not buying it." But when you have hundreds of people who still to this day say that, you know, if you listen to the interviews, they'll say things like, I know what I saw. It wasn't a weather balloon. You know, they say, they'll say, I don't know what it was, but I know what I saw. It was not an airplane. It was not a weather balloon. It was something different. Mm -hmm. And to this day, those witnesses still stick to what they saw. You know, there's not a one of them that I could find that came out and said, no, no, no. It was some kind of, mass hysteria it was some kind of hoax or whatever i mean there 200 people if it was some kind of hoax or mass hysteria somebody would come out and say no no this is all made up you know so yeah i don't know what it was but you can't dismiss the case it was something it was definitely something with that many witnesses that's a ton of witnesses all right we have agent ether is now here with her warm cheap budget sake which I got her nice sake. I don't. I don't know why she's drinking the budget stuff I got for cooking. She's. I got her some good. Because well, it's it's there. Oh, because I guess she it's just convenient. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to waste it. You know. 
<laughs> What's up, Agent Ether? Hey, it was open. What can I say? <laughs> I guess if it's convenient, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Hey, that's a good enough reason as any, you know? All right, give me give me just a moment here. I'm going to help Agent <laughs> Ether adjust her microphone so it's nice and comfy for her. I'll be right back. I'm going to sit okay. here and drink my sake. I think I've seen it done though. So you like you drop us like a shot of sake within a beer, right? And then you, this like, has you pound, never you happened to me, and I go out for sushi all the time. Where are you going out for sushi? I do go to some fancy schmancy right. shawarma places. It, Asian Kruger puts sake in his beer. Mm-hmm. That that sounds horrific. That's what I said. In fact, those were my exact words. Beer is good. Sake is good. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it with my next beer. We had a sort of a uh, faux Japanese style meal, you know, a vegan meal tonight for dinner with tofu and stuff. It was in the Japanese style. I don't think it was authentic, but so so if you do that, you can't sip on the beer though. You got to pound that some bitch. Well, you know? I I can't pound a beer while I'm doing a podcast because I'll burp too much. Yeah, and- you can. I, yeah, you can. I believe in you. Yes, you can. <laughs> I guess I could edit out the burps, but that's a pain. But yeah, maybe I'll try that with my next beer. Right now I'm having a, I got some Sapporo to go with dinner. Figured, hey, why oh, not? Well, well, shit, that's Japanese beer too, isn't it? Yep. Probably, well, well, hell, that sounds like the right one. It's probably made by th- Budweiser or something. Who knows? <laughs> I think you should do a sake bomb. Yeah, why not? I got sake. I got Japanese beer. I'll do it in a bit. I think... I'm really scared you're going to waste sake and beer. So I think you should do like a mini one. <laughs> like a th- like get the shot glass of beer and then get a thimble of sake. That way you could get the overall experience without having to waste the beer. Well, I mean, you could, you could, you could do that. You could do that, but I'll, I'll definitely think lesser of you as a man. <laughs> uh, I'll show you. Actually, I'm having my beer in a Goliath six flags, Goliath mug. I'll post it on the <laughs> discord. Check it out. I actually really not mug. I mean, pint glass. I actually really like this pint glass. It looks pretty sweet here. Let's see. Live show chat. There we go. Live show chat. Check that out. That's a pretty sweet looking glass there. I have, I have a uh, jelly jar. I am drinking yeah. my sake out of She's She's going uh, low budget on her, her glassware. <laughs> I reserve my cute little sake set for fine quality sake. It's actually, it's a little cat, like a lucky cat with its mouth open. And you pour the sake from that into your little sake cups. It's very cute. And you could pretend like the cat's barfing every time you pour it into a little cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. It's fun. <laughs> but yeah, that I got pretty sweet. I got her some nice sake. It's sitting in the cabinet. I'm not sure. Why she didn't just open that that one up? It would take very minimal effort. It's too late now. Yeah, I guess it's too the late. The past now. is in the past. All right. Anyways, let's <laughs> let's. I think that's enough about sake bombs. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, three hundred people. Um, where were we? So yeah, this was described by. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's described by many people online and many sources as the largest mass sighting in Australia's history or Straya's history. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I saw in different places. And, you know, I don't have like a whole lot of stuff on UFO sightings in Australia. It's just sort of like most of what I come into contact with or come across is stuff from the United States, just because that's where I live. But there's a ton of this stuff all over the world. And I actually found recently online some 
UFO magazines from Australia that have a bunch of stuff. I can't wait to dig through them. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm pretty excited about that. Not just Australia, actually, from all over the world, but that's a little bit uh, too far of a digression, maybe. So let's get back to the episode. The description of the UFO was saucer or oval-shaped. A lot of people said it looked like a cup upside down on a saucer. So we're talking basically the classic UFO or flying saucer mm. shape, you know, like a little, like a little, a disc shaped craft with like the little bubble on top, you know? Yeah. Why well, I, 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 there's, there's a little bit of a difference between like the, uh, the teachers that have given testimony and the children as far as what they describe. Like, for example, like, uh, the science teacher that was there, uh, Andrew, uh, Greenwood, he described it as a uh, cigar shaped, like, like cylindrical, like, like, shape you know and he said it was like the size of like like uh like two cars basically put together i guess you could say and uh he said like intermittent intermittently if i'm even pronouncing that correctly um he said like there you would see like a bulge in the middle you know every once in a while which uh, i can relate to that you know what i mean <laughs> I, got a, I got a bulge i got a bulge in the middle you know what i mean <laughs> that's some of these sightings you read and they find you know like the ship changes shape is what they describe. I find that so bizarre that I don't know. Like, it, to me, it just, it suggests that something like an interdimensional or fourth dimensional craft or something. That's what I was thinking. You That's know what exactly I mean? what I was thinking. Yeah. It suggests that we're only seeing part of the craft in the three dimensions that we can perceive. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and, and and it's odd that like you know, like you said, like I said, like there was a little bit of difference between like what the children say they saw and what the adults uh, said what they saw. You know, like how they described it, but it was similar enough to where they they obviously experienced the same thing. Yeah. You know? Well, we're talking about a lot of the witnesses were children. A few of them were adults, and you're yeah, kids from different vantage points and different age groups they are going to describe things in different ways, you know? So Mm -hmm. they're not, this is, this is Australia. I don't think they played American football at the time. So they're not going to describe it as football shaped. If they, I don't even know if they play it now. So I I, probably, they play soccer because that's the sport that's most popular in most parts of the world. They they definitely play rugby and that has a similar ball. Yeah. So they might describe it as a rugby ball or they might describe it as I-shaped, or they might describe it some other way, you know, but if an American saw it, they might describe it as a football shape. But the point is, is that two, you you could have two or three people, or even you could have a bunch of people seeing the same object and all describing it differently is sort of the point I was trying to get at there. So you could have varying descriptions. They're all describing the same object just in their own way. And if you have somebody, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you've ever talked to children, Somebody who's, let's say, seven years old will use different words than somebody who's 14, 15, or 60, or whatever. Somebody in high school, you know? Their oh, des- yeah. The descriptions are going to be very, very different. One thing that was interesting is that, um, oh yeah, did we say the color? The color was gray or silvery, and some people said it was like silvery green or had a slight purple hue. And mm-hmm. as ETA said, the, the general description of size was about twice the size of a family car. Uh, some people interpret that as an SUV. I don't know that they were that popular back then. Probably a station wagon. The, the, I bet that was what people drove back then. 
Yeah, there were definitely station wagons, but I don't know about minivans, though. Yeah. Yeah. Some people said that they saw two UFOs, but a lot of the descriptions did not say that. A lot of the descriptions I found said one UFO, so it's sort of hard to tell. I don't know. That's a weird one. Well, and I even I even heard some testimony from some of the children that, you know, like you said, like 40 years later, sometimes 40 years plus later, some of the testimony that they were giving, the descriptions of what they saw, I, I, I heard even upwards to three UFOs. Yeah. It, it, it's it's kind of confusing. It's a little bit confusing, you know, like some of the testimony that's been given, you know. Yeah, and the, also similarly, a lot of people reported seeing about five light airplanes and they described oh, them yeah. as looking like Cessnas. Some yeah. people did not describe those planes at all. And just like seeing one versus many UFOs, the way I kind of think of that is, you know, that experiment, I forget what they called it, but they did that experiment where you're watching a video, right? And you're supposed to be counting something like how many people have a red shirt or you're just, somebody's doing something like sort of, oh, I know what it was like bouncing a basketball. You're supposed to count the basketball being bounced, right? And they have a basketball team and then... Uh-huh. Yeah, somebody wearing like a monkey suit or a oh, gorilla yeah. suit. I remember seeing that video. Like, I yeah. remember seeing that video, and I remember like like watching it, and then afterwards, I didn't even notice the freaking guy in the monkey suit. Right. Like not even not even a little bit, you know. And like yeah. and they they replayed the video. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> yeah. So you have like selective attention, and if your attention is focused on one UFO you may just miss the airplanes in the area, particularly because this was near a small airport. So they would see air small airplanes like Cessnas in the skies all the time, probably so much so that it would be unremarkable and they might even just filter it out. But even, even if there were multiple UFOs, if you were focused on just one UFO, you might sort of filter out the other ones, just how you might filter out an, a gorilla in the background when you're watching somebody bounce a yeah. basketball. You know, you should see the gorilla. And if you watch the video, I did the same thing. I didn't see it at first. Then you watch it a second time and you're like, holy shit, how did I not, how did I miss that? It's crazy. But yeah, we have very selective attention. You know, we're very focused on one thing. That might go back to like hunting or something. I'm not really sure what the evolutionary or scientific reason for that is. Well, it could also go back to also what exactly are you perceiving, you know, with your eyes and stuff like, like, like there's been studies that have shown that like your brain will fill in some of the blanks that you don't notice, you know, some of the things that you don't like, like observe in the moment, you know what I mean? And so, like, it, it also goes back to that, like, uh, argument or that, you know, um, that thing about, like, you know, some people say, like, what exactly is consciousness? Like, what exactly is reality? I guess you could say, right? Like, you, you, how much does your brain really fill in of what you're ob- observing? You know what I mean? So, I find that a, a, a very interesting point, you know, like, uh, with, with, with many of these uh, cases where people are observing a UFO or... You know, they say that they have been abducted or, or what, it, what it may be, whatever situation it may, it may be. How much of this is your brain actually filling in the blanks, you know, and, and like what exactly is consciousness? Are we re- receptors of consciousness or are we creators of consciousness? You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's a very uh, complex notion, I think, to try to, you know, come to grips with. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say I understand it at all. You know, but like the one of the things, uh, and I, I think I've talked about this before in a previous podcast, like your pineal gland, for example, at the base of your brain, you know, creates a dimethyltryptamine DMT. Why does does your body do that? You know, that's that's kind of crazy. I mean, if anybody who you know anybody who knows what DMT is, I mean, people smoke DMT to have like you know psychedelic experiences and stuff. I mean, so why does your brain produce it, or you know your pineal gland at least? You know, it's not your brain, but it's at the bottom of your brain. Why does it produce that? That you know that that's that's kind of crazy. You know, so you could think about this this you know in a way where. Could it be? I know that like one of the explanations, and maybe I'm getting a little little far ahead here, but one of the explanations is it was like a mass hysteria type uh, event, you know. And could it be? I, I don't. I don't think so, you know. But like uh, it's a. I don't know. That's a trip, man. That you know. That that's a, a you know. I think it's a reasonable way of looking at it, but not necessarily one in which you could uh, find an explanation. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I actually have seen a lot of UFO encounters where the witnesses describe things in a way that's culturally relevant to them, particularly uh-huh. when they encounter alien beings. And I think that might be them, their brain filling in the gaps. You know, they describe it in a way that they can understand. So I, I, mm-hmm. I definitely think that that might be a thing. So we have in the in the chat, Ozzy Mima says. Aussie football has a ball like yours. Oh, okay, cool. So I, I didn't know that uh, that that was a. I'm not even sure what Aussie football is, but now I'm gonna have to look it up. <laughs> if I don't know if you can hear Agent Ether, but she's being attacked by one of our one of our cryptids over there. I, I heard her like <laughs> laughing in the background or something, and I was like, like, did I say something stupid? Is she laughing at that, or what, what, what's happening right there? Like. <laughs> No, he's. If I cause you any any uh, you know laughter, then I am happy for that. <laughs> you mind if I post the picture on the Discord? The aging ether. Oh, well, hey, no, it's up to you. Me. She's licking me. She's being uh yeah he's he's in one of those moods and he's just giving her all the licks. <laughs> oh, wait, which which dog? Toby. Toby. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. I'll put it in the live show chat there. Here, let me see. <laughs> he's a yeah he's a he's a cutie is it is it in, inbox no it's not inbox live chat this yeah yeah let's just the live chat uh, live show <laughs> it says live show right and now oh now now our other cryptid is making noises on the cables and whatnot but what can you do hope i don't see it hopefully the noise removal software will take care of that um Oh, it says live show, live show chat. <laughs> hey, there we go. Okay, I'm a retard when it comes to this kind of shit. Tyrano Squatch says, "My pupper's 130 pal. Oh my goodness, that's a big boy right there, <laughs> or a big that's girl, a big boy, big boy or girl, <laughs> whichever." <laughs> so we were staying at an Airbnb type of situation. Oh yeah, and I mean everything was okay. The host came over to introduce himself, and he would not go away and i've yeah. never stayed at an airbnb where the host came over which wasn't terrible but he had he insisted on giving us like a tour and it was not a very big place and it's pr- uh-huh. like one house is the same as another house like yep there's the kitchen so <laughs> finally 
We're going downstairs. He's making some political comments, which we found hysterical. Yeah, he he was uh, he was definitely Republican. <laughs> and mm, he's like, "Oh, oh I don't I don't know which side you're on. I shouldn't say anything." And I was like, "I don't even know what's going on here." And then his wife was like, "Oh, just to let you know, we have a dog, and I'm going to tie him up, and it's a pit bull." And I was like. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I don't personally have any problem with pit bulls, but I guarantee you if they had put pit bull on the property, on the Airbnb, they would never have any guests. Like, ever. Now Toby is trying to eat Ether's uh, headphone cable. (laughs) Oh, really? Little shit. (laughs) I like how California is so big, even though it's the same state, we refer to it as like, Southern, Central, and Northern. Like, it's all the same state, but we have to give it its mm-hmm. own distinct regions. It's bigger than some well, countries, man. It's really big. But yeah, we should probably get back to the show. Before we get back to it, hey, why not? Let's do some advertising. Uh, let's see. What should I do? I'll do Ledger Wallet. Okay. Yeah, Ledger Wallet. Okay. So before we get back to the show, uh, do you have cryptocurrency that you need protected by a wallet, a hardware wallet? then check out Ledger Wallet. It's a secure way to store your cryptocurrency. Link in the description. All right, now let's get... Uh, that was a weak-ass commercial. I need to plan this ahead of time. All right, let's, let's get back to the show. All right, where were we? Oh, yeah, we're talking about um, the UFO. So it came in. There's various descriptions about how it maneuvered, and some people didn't see it come into the area. They only saw it once it was there. But it basically, they saw it hovering over the school for some time. It's not easy to pin down an exact amount of time because everybody was more or less in a state of hysteria. But it hovered over the school for some time. And then it went over some trees and descended into some trees into like a clearing or a field. And then after a few seconds, it shot back up. And then it flew away at a very high speed. Now, all in all, the UFO was said to be in sight of witnesses for about 20 minutes, including when it flew in, hovered around the school, descended, and then left. The whole thing took approximately 20 minutes. So these people got a really good view of it. It's not like something they saw for just one or two seconds and it would be really easy to dismiss stuff. If you see something out of the corner of your eye for one or two seconds, you could easily dismiss that to yourself and say, ah, it's nothing. But if you're <laughs> you're watching some for 20 minutes, yeah, there's, there's no way you're going to mistake whatever it is you're seeing. You're going to have a really good idea. Yeah, it's a, that's a really long time. That's an incredibly long UFO sighting. Most of them are not that long. Yeah. So the planes... People reported seeing five light planes approach the area. Now, some of them said that they were circling around the UFO and chasing it. Other witnesses said that they only arrived in the area after the UFO had already disappeared into the trees. And as they approached the trees, the planes see, or the, as the planes approached the trees, the UFO seemed to sort of react to that and leave as they got close that that's one of the weird things about this case is people are pretty much all over the place when it comes to these light aircraft. Now, just as a side note, the RAAF, 
which is the the you know the Australian Air Force did have at the time in 1966 they did have some planes that they used as let's say trainers for example that looked very similar to Cessnas so these could have been military planes nowadays that would be probably a lot less common for the military to actually be using a Cessna but back then they did have some models of planes that could have looked like Cessnas and the government the local airports the local air force whatever's bases nobody has ever admitted to having any airplanes anywhere near this thing and it's very doubtful that civilian aircraft would be allowed to fly like like it was described by the witnesses you know when you when you fly you have to submit a flight plan ahead of time and any deviation from that flight plan is generally a very bad idea at at the very least or punished because it can get real dangerous real quick. I read that Australia also sent soldiers to Vietnam and th- that um it was a little different there. They also had the draft. It was probably handled a little differently, but they had, you know, basically conscription. But it was a little different there because people didn't have the same context. They had no uh I I heard an interview where somebody was saying some people there had no idea what was even going on in Vietnam or why they were fighting there, but they were just, they had to draw numbers and they were just sent, you know, can you imagine, Yeah, you know, something that has nothing to do with you whatsoever. And then you, or maybe one of your kids gets sent over there to die. It's, it's man, we live in a really crazy world, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's well, the, there are some current events though. Like we haven't talked about on this show, like those, balloons or objects that got shot out of the sky or the train derailments you know there's some pretty scary stuff going on right now that looks like it could be some sort of escalation of war and i just hope that it's not because you know it just it's just so senseless you know it's unnecessary it reminds me of two kids on the playground fighting over a ball but you know instead of kids fighting over a ball and now give those kids a gun and see what happens. You know, that's just what world politics is like to me. Let's get back to the show. So there was a general state of chaos. Kids were running everywhere. And even a couple of them, or at least one woman I saw an interview who said that when she was a child, she thought that the world was coming to an end and her and her friend were just like sitting down and just like wondering when it was all going to end or something, which is wow. Just, I mean, just the state of chaos that must have been, you know. Like what did what did they see to, yeah. to make them have that perspective? You know what I mean? Like, and I saw some of the uh, the interviews from from the kids. You know, obviously it was a, a great deal later in time. You know, was, you know, like we had said, like forty years plus, sometimes even after. But some of these kids that had attended this school, they were talking about how. You know, like when they first saw this, like like you had just said, they're like, "What the hell is happening?" They 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 were in a complete state of chaos, and some of them were running away, some of them were running in, in uh, you know random directions, and some of them were were like jumping fences to go see these like crafts, and and some of them had described that some of the crafts had like landed on the ground, and they actually got really close to them, like close enough almost to touch. And then once once they got that close, like the the crafts lifted up slowly, evenly, both of them, and um, they they had uh, just basically like like hovered hovered in the air for a quick second and then just took off, you know. 
and, and um, I find that very, you know, odd, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting at the very least, you know what I mean? Like it, it's like in, in the consistency too, within some of these testimonies, you know, it, you know, it makes me pause and sit there and say, all right, well, I mean, there, there's a lot of people that are, are describing the exact same thing. And they also describe like in some of the fields, uh, the, the field in particular, um, and there was a name for it. What was it? There was a growth of trees outside of the school and they had a certain name for it. Do you guys remember this name? I forget what it was no. called, but, but they, they say that like, uh, the area that this, you know, these objects landed, you know, it basically kind of like created like, a not like burn marks, but like almost like crop circles, you know? And, um, they also describe like, you know, air force, uh, people like, you know, um, employees that were like there within like 20 to 30 minutes of, of them observing the, these these flying uh, crafts and and after they left and it's a very short period of time you know what i mean so like like how how was it that like you know like the air force or or the government was able to respond in this short period of time some people say that I, i've heard this theory that like it was actually you know a uh you know a a, a craft that the uh the government was in control of and, and, you know, that's the reason why they knew it was there. That's the reason why they were able to respond so fast, you know, and um, they, they were having problem with a uh, problem with this uh, experimental aircraft, you know what I mean? So like they, they, they weren't sure like where it was going to land or what have you once uh, um, this experimental craft had these problems, you know, and so that's the reason why it came down in this uh, particular area is because, you know, they're having some issues and then, you know, they, they responded very fast because they knew they were having these issues. And then, you know, like, like, uh, once, once this all happened, it was, uh, you know, unfortunate for them because there were so many witnesses, but they then afterwards like responded. There was a lot of, uh, personnel on the ground. Um, I've heard it described where there was a lot of, uh, you know, military, personnel that responded fast and they they were wearing like khaki uniforms and yeah and and some some of them um were wearing were wearing um like some of the trucks that they were like uh that responded to the area with like a you know a decent amount of uh people in them they were like camouflaged and stuff and they weren't the 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 usual you know the typical vehicles that would be like in the australian military some people describe it as being, you know, like something that you would see like within the U.S. Uh, military, what have you, you know. And um, but but it, like there are so many different like conflicting descriptions of what, what people saw as far as like military personnel uh, responding to the scene that like I'm not quite sure what to believe. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, they for sure. There's enough witnesses described police military and firefighters being on scene uh-huh. to where I believe that that actually happened. One, yeah. one really interesting description I saw was that they, a lot of people said that the military were wearing khaki colored uniforms and yeah. Australia didn't actually, their military didn't have khaki colored uniforms at the time, which uh, did you mention that agent ETA? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they had khaki, but they didn't have like a uh, camouflage. Yeah. And they didn't, and, and, they didn't actually have that type of uniform that, at the time. 
So, I mean, the U.S. had a base in sort of in the area. Like, I think it was like 20 miles away or something, maybe. Uh, and I think that they had U-2s stationed there, which, you know, maybe getting a little ahead here, but that's one of the possible explanations that the skeptics propose is like a U-2. <laughs> like, okay, well, have you seen a yeah. U-2? Have you, have you seen a that, U-2, that, sir? That doesn't fit the description. <laughs> yeah. really, of, you might as well say, happened, you, know? you might as well say it's a Thanksgiving Turkey dinner, you know, cause that bears about as much resemblance to the descriptions as a U2 does, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yeah, so there's, there were almost certainly uh military police and fire on scene. There was also another description. I read one of the teachers, Barbara Robbins, who was a chemistry teacher, had a camera and took pictures of the event. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I find that very exciting. But unfortunately, a witness saw military men taking the camera away from her. So we'll never see them. And yeah, also... And that, that, wit- that witness describes like a, a uh, like an argument that had taken place, like basically between her, another teacher, and like two um, authorities from what, what they assumed was the government or something like that, or the Air Force. I've heard two different descriptions. And she was arguing like, you know, like, 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 like what's the reason why well, you don't need these pictures? Like, whatever, I didn't do nothing. You know, like, I didn't do anything wrong. But they, they not only wanted the film, but they wanted the camera too. So they took both from her. Yeah. Is what I understand. And hey, cameras aren't cheap. You know, it's, it's, they're basically stealing her stuff. She worked for that, you know, <laughs> bought yeah, it with their own sure. money. That's, that ain't right, you know? So the some kids actually followed the UFO to the field. Oh, wait, you talked about that, right, ETA? Did you talk about that? I alluded to it. Yeah. So some kids and adults followed the UFO and tried to see it in the field. And like you, I think you said that some of them saw it landed but that that's the minority of descriptions I saw, like the very small minority of descriptions that people said they saw a landed craft yeah. enough to where I think it might be people making stuff af- up after the fact, although I'm not hundred percent convinced of that, but a lot of witnesses said that they did go to the field after the object took off or objects took off and they found a flattened circle of burned grass believing in. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And they thought that, you know, people think that that's where it landed. The circle, it was like a perfect circle, five to six meters in diameter in what was about knee-high grass. Whose knee? I don't know. Probably, I'm guessing two feet tall is what that sounds like to me. The grass was flattened in like a clockwise pattern. So it was sort of like not entirely Mm. unlike a crop circle. And there were three small indentations in the circle. I found an interesting witness account here. I went over and there was a circle in the clearing. It looked like it had been cooked or boiled, not burned as I remember. A heap of kids from Westall Primary and High School came charging through to see what had happened. Look at this. Look at that. We saw it as well. That sort of thing. It was a bit of a talking point for a couple of days. Mr. Matthews said the object, about the size of two family cars, passed him at a distance of about four football fields. Oh, yeah, wait, this is a different witness statement. Sorry. (laughs) So anyways, this is, yeah, this is another one by the teacher. I think ETA was talking about this one a little bit earlier. Uh, The teacher, Mr. Matthews, um, saw the object and he said it was the size of two family cars and he said it passed him at a distance of about four football fields. 
I was talking about Greenwood. I think. Oh, okay. So this is a different teacher then. Yeah, the science teacher, Andrew, Andrew uh, Greenwood. Yeah. So Mr. Mr. Matthews says that it was silvery, but it had a sort of purple hue to it, very bright, but not bright enough that you couldn't look at it. I saw that it dropped down behind the trees, and I thought, hello, hang on. A minute or so later, it went straight up, just gone. The way this thing moved, there was no way it could have been a weather balloon or a light aircraft. A helicopter? No way. No noise, wrong shape, and it didn't move like it. It came out of the distance, stopped, and then just dropped. It didn't just sort of cruise and then slightly descend at an angle. It just stopped, dropped, and then went straight up. So this brings up sort of an interesting question. As ETA was saying, a lot of people think that it might have been some sort of experimental government craft, but a lot of the witnesses describe movements that defy our understanding of physics. In other words, it doesn't seem to be beholden to the laws of inertia. It can stop Mm -hmm. and start and accelerate from zero to whatever in an instant. And in 66, we probably didn't have anything that could do that. And we probably don't have anything that can do that today. Although some modern UFO sightings to me, Seems like they may have figured out something that can do that. I'm not 100% convinced that we don't have something that, like an Alcubierre drive, that they figured yeah. out. You know, well, I'm 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 very well in on that conspiracy. Yeah, you know, like I think that like the capability that our of our government has is is well beyond our understanding of of what we think aviation can achieve. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although back then in 66, I very seriously doubt they had anything that could do this. You know, they were just yeah. nailing well, down how to do jets and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Who maybe, knows? Any, maybe. Any, anything's possible, but I find it highly unlikely that they had developed something like that by then. Yeah. Well, it depends, you know, because like, uh, what if they had, you know, there are some conspiracies out there that, you know, that, uh, you know, our government in the United States or other governments had gotten a hold of uh, UFO technology and had reverse engineered it. And if if that is true, if that had happened, then, well, that's a big leap forward, you know, and, and depending on when you think that happened, you know, and that, you know, there, who knows what's possible, you know, like it's just, and would they, would they share that information with the public? Of course not. I wouldn't if I was in control, you know. Yeah. So who knows, man? I mean, that, that there's a big question mark there. Big question mark, you know? Yeah, and as far as like crashed UFOs, a lot of people speculate, how could we possibly bring something down that has such superior technology? But it occurred to me the other day, I was just sort of thinking about it. What if, you know, we're being visited by multiple species? What if you had two of them here at the same time and one shot down the other? Maybe it wasn't us that brought down the UFO. Maybe there was some sort of, you know, aerial battle and one species is far more superior than another and they shot them down. But even the one they shot down would be, well, yeah, or maybe not. Maybe they're just hostile to each other, you know? No matter how advanced you get, there still is an area for, you know, um, fault there. You know what I mean? An area for an accident to happen or what have you. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, nobody's perfect. Uh, no, matter how, no matter how advanced that you get, 
you're still not perfect. So shit, shit happens sometimes. You know what I mean? I guess yeah. that's a, a very lazy way of putting it, but you know, like that shit happens, dude. So maybe shit happened, you know, well, no, and we got a hold of it. It's true. And you can look at our own technology. Some people who are skeptical will say, well, if they really could get here from there, then their technology would be so mm. advanced that they would never crash. But if you look at our technology, the further we push the envelope, the more failures we have because we're pushing the envelope. Yeah. We're trying new stuff. So you could yeah, reason. The more advanced, the more advanced pl- we get, the more, the more possibilities for failure there is. Yeah. You know? It would be, wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility or, I mean, it seems plausible to me that, you know, some alien species that pushed the envelope as well would also have a higher rate of failure if they went to another planet than they would normally. So yeah, yeah it, all that stuff's on the table. But let's get back to uh, Westall here. It's um, let's see where we're at. Uh, yeah, we're we're. Uh, it's hard to tell exactly how long we've been recording because we started kind of late. Um, yeah, so we're we're getting to it. But I I'm only uh like not that far through my notes. We got a, a lot more to cover here. Oh yeah, <laughs> that I, stuff oh, that yeah. I'd like to get to that I think is interesting. So we were talking. I think ETA mentioned some people that may have approached. The UFO. I saw one story where a girl got too close and passed out and was taken by yes. an ambulance and never seen again. Ooh. Yeah, I saw that and I thought that was really crazy. Yeah, and like and she she had a, a friend that was like a close friend that had like you know like talked about how she never saw her again after that, and that's kind of that's that's pretty crazy. That, you yeah, know, like like what what happened there? Why? You know, I saw another woman talking about when she was a witness and she said that she forgot who or forgot what happened. Kind of like she has a vague memory of what happened. And there's some speculation that they might have used like electroshock therapy to erase her memory and stuff like that. It it gets Hmm. this, this case, I tell you, this case gets pretty pretty weird and pretty wild and it goes to some dark places i didn't really have that much time to like look up that particular incident but uh it, it appears that they were trying very hard to cover this one up and we'll get into a little oh, bit more yeah. of that later yeah they they yeah they really were covering this one up pretty they're being pretty aggressive with this one so mm-hmm. i found a really good witness statement in uh the flying saucer review or the um the Australian Flying Saucer Review. I was in class when a disturbance occurred outside. I didn't take any notice, and when the bell went for morning recess, my classmates and I went to our lockers and then walked out into the yard. We noticed that all the girls who were doing physical education were gathered right down near the end of our playing field. Suddenly, the school came alive with excitement, and everybody began running down towards where the girls were. I was among the surging mob. I had seen something that looked very unusual in the sky. As I looked up, I saw a dazzling silvery object flying around some pine trees which grew on a ridge about a quarter of a mile directly behind the school. It then flew across some open paddocks also behind the school and returned to the pines. On the other side of the ridge, there is a small field. The thing hovered over the pines and descended behind them and must have been directly over the field. I then lost sight of it because of the pines. 
As the thing was out of sight, I began to notice many private aircraft, mainly Cessna, flying towards the pines. It was then the thing reappeared and rose to the level of the approaching aircraft. This enabled me to get a rough idea of its size. It was silvery object as as long as one of the Cessnas, but very thin. As the aircraft approached, the thing tilted on about a 45 degree angle and started to move into the distance, gradually gaining height. The planes increased their speed and began to follow it, but the object streaked away, leaving the planes far, far behind. The planes turned back, but we all stood hoping it would return, but it didn't. So we all went into the school 15 minutes late. After school, two friends and I went to the field where the object had descended. In a few minutes, we were crawling under a barbed wire fence which surrounded the field at a height of four feet. We waded through the waist-high grass, making for a gap in it. Suddenly, we were there. We found ourselves standing in a spot where the grass had been utterly crushed against the earth. It was an area of about 25 to 30 feet in diameter. Cows could not have done it because the fence was barbed, and also cows would have left a track through the grass. There was no track. The object had descended over the field. Could it have done this? It all leads back to the same question. What was the object? Some people say it was a weather balloon, but do weather balloons go up and down quickly, crush grass, and fly across the skies faster than reasonably speedy aircraft? Otherwise, your guess is as good as mine. Now, I love that. That, by the way, is from 1966. So that was a contemporary account. I love looking at the original witness statements rather than later news reports or articles written decades later, because you get a better idea of what the witnesses are saying, you know, and when you have multiple witnesses like witnesses like this, who are all giving very similar accounts, it all, it paints a very, very interesting picture. It's typically, it's just more accurate. Yeah. So that, I mean, that says it all right there. It's not exactly identical to all of the other reports, but I thought that was a pretty good representation of what people had seen. If you dig around online, you can find more witness statements, but the further back you go in time, the fewer you can find. There was a website that was uh, like a Yahoo Groups website that was run by somebody researching this case, but it was down um, it's no longer there, unfortunately, but apparently some of the witnesses were on there discussing things. Uh, I'm kind of bummed out. I couldn't find it because it's, I mean, you have the actual witnesses on there, like discussing stuff, but that was like from yeah. the early, early two thousands, I think. So it's, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, 66 is a long time ago now, you know? Yep. Yes, it was. So that's, Pretty much in general, the sighting, one really interesting thing that a lot of witnesses reported were what you might generally call these days, we would refer to them as men in black, you know, MIB. Oh, yeah. People who were dressed not in uniform, but they were just sort of dressed in suits. Went we around. did an episode on that too. Yeah. They went around and they, they threatened witnesses and they told them not to talk about it. And they said that it was a government exercise. And I guess they have some sort of law 
some sort of secrecy law in Australia saying that you're not allowed to talk about certain things and there's penalties if you do. I'm not I'm not really familiar with what it was, but I saw it referenced in one of these accounts that people were threatened with it. But the these people were threatened with serious repercussions and they were told not to talk. The the press did come to the school that day, but apparently the police tried very hard to keep them away from students. There was, I saw a report of a student who did get to be interviewed by the, by like a television crew. And somebody looked up that, like the reel of film they used to record that they found the canister at the news station. It was marked as the correct reel that was supposed to be for that interview. But of course the canister was empty, you know, of course, (laughs) but, uh, you know, as, as all the evidence has disappeared over time, that's very common for many cases. But the, the that's something that many people reported, but the MIB type thing. And a lot of people said that, yeah, my mom was at that school, but she never talked about it, you know, because she was probably scared to or something. I mean, it seems like in this case, it worked. The intimidation seemed to have worked. Because there's yeah. not a ton of witness statements available for this one. There is a decent amount, but not a ton. It seems like a lot of people were actually afraid to talk about it. Now, the yeah. the headmaster of the school told the students that they hadn't really seen anything at all. They hadn't seen a flying saucer or anything. And he said not to talk about it at all. And I saw something where I saw somebody... I didn't see the original interview, so this is not necessarily super accurate, but I saw somebody saying that they saw a statement by him that I couldn't find, but they said, he said that uh, his main concern was keeping the students safe and he was worried about the students. So that's why he did that. So it suggests that maybe the headmaster, his arm was being twisted to, somebody's putting pressure on him (laughs) to tell the students to keep quiet. Basically it's really weird. Yeah. Now the police, as we mentioned earlier, were on scene very quickly. I think ETA talked about that a little bit. Some witnesses reported that they burned the area, the landing area. They went, they investigated the area, they roped it off. And when they were done, they set fire to it to destroy any evidence. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple of students that went back the next day to go like kind of, I guess you could say, investigate the scene. And then they were there, they were turned away by like uh, Air Force personnel, is what they described, because of the uniforms that they were wearing and stuff. And um, they thought that it was Air Force or what have you, or at least, you know, military. And, um, you know, they, they went back again the next day and they they were able to find that like the whole area where they they had seen the the uh these crafts land was like burnt and like all the evidence was like basically destroyed so yeah you know like it it, it uh, that makes some sense to, some sense to me like like if if there was any evidence there on the ground you might want to get rid of it if you're trying to cover up something you know so it, that 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 kind of makes sense you know yeah and it's also evidence in and of itself because 
if that was just a weather balloon, why would they bother burning that field? You know? <laughs> yeah. If it was a weather balloon, th- there, there would be no area on the ground where it'd make any kind of impact to, you know, to leave like, like, uh, evidence, you know, like right. it, it, it doesn't have a, a down, a downwards thrusting, you know, component where it would burn crops or, burn grass or whatever, anything, you know, it wouldn't make like a, uh, impact on, on that area. You know? Yeah. It, 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 so yeah, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. You know? Yeah. Weather balloons not going to leave a perfect circle on the grass. That's just not going to, it's not going to be a thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. So that, that's like kind of like the basic idea of this one. I did find a list of other sightings that happened around the time now this is this is a list of just UFOs in 1966 that landed or were close to the ground. Keep that in mind. This is just in the weeks or just like the week before and a couple of days after is what I'm talking about and just the ones that landed. There's so many sightings in 1966 that we could probably do a podcast just on 1966. Like that's how it's crazy yeah. how many there are insane but here's just a handful of them i this is not even all of them this is just some of them so on march 23rd 1966 at five in the morning temple oklahoma and by the way most of these are the united states because i couldn't really find stuff from uh, australia like i was saying that's where i live and that's what i'm familiar with so this is what it, but the interesting thing is a lot of these are very very similar like i said it's a worldwide thing so temple oklahoma five in the morning there was an electronics instructor that was driving to work. Who He worked at a local Air Force base. He saw an object blocking the road. It was shaped like an airplane fuselage, 25 meters long, with a bubble on top resembling the canopy of a B-26. It was resting on legs and had a very bright aft and forward lights. There was a door and a short stairway to the side of the object, and a man in coveralls appeared to be examining the craft, which bore the identification TL-4768. When the witness approached, the pilot went back inside, and a sound resembling that of a high-speed drill was heard, and the object rose. No engine was observed. The witness was familiar with all conventional military aircraft. So, I mean... That's kind of interesting. They had a sighting of like an actual, you know, EBE, as you might say, or perhaps just an experimental aircraft that didn't just so happen to not have any flight control surfaces in 1966, as likely as that seems. All Uh right. We have a, I have a bunch of these. I'll go over them. Um, I don't know if I'll go over all of them. We'll see how it goes. March 25th, Bangor, Maine. John King saw a bright object with a dark underside above him. He fired at it four times and he heard the bullets hit a metal surface as the object flew off. And I just wanted to include this one. It's real brief, but I just implore you, please, please. If you guys see a UFO, don't shoot at it. Don't do it guys. Just put the gun away. They're never going to land and get out of their ships and say hello. If you're shooting at them with guns. Okay. Yeah. Please (laughs) stop it. But I, I will say though that like that that particular sound, if you do shoot at a metal object and and you hear your projectile hit that metal object, like it is a very particular sound. 
You know right. Mean? So, like, if if you shoot at something and hit nothing, then you will hear nothing. You know. So so if you, but if you do shoot at something and then hit it, there there's going to be a a particular sound that you're going to hear that projectile. Or, you know, like hitting hitting that surface, and then then you know you'll hear that sound. You know, but like I don't know. That's it's that sounds very I don't know. That sounds kind of odd because like. You would think that, like, uh, the the technological sophistication of these objects or these vehicles, like, you would think that, like, that they would have maybe, I don't know, necessarily the capability of, like, 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 uh, not being hit by this, these projectiles, or, or you know, uh, maybe they have, like, a, I don't know, like a force field around them or something like that. If you were that technical, uh, technically advanced. You know, so maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily be hit by a projectile like that. I don't know. It's. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. All right. Next up, I got March 26. Now this one, I don't think has anything to do with the case, but I just thought it was such a bizarre description. I wanted to include it. So this one takes place in uh, Attenville, France. A dude named Jean Volquin saw a strange wheel roll 15 meters away at a speed of about 30 kilometers an hour. It was 80 centimeters in diameter and 25 centimeters thick. It rolled away and vanished. And I was wondering, was it perhaps attached to some sort of vehicle? (laughs) But assuming that it wasn't, and assuming that it was by strange wheel, it wasn't actually a wheel, but it was a strange object in the shape of a wheel. That's pretty freaking weird, dude. He just, it's a wheel 15 meters away, which would be about 50 feet, 45, 50 feet or something like that. Right. And he sees it just rolling away and then it vanishes. Okay. That's, that's really weird. That's all there is to that one. Also on March 26 in Texahoma, Oklahoma, two women were driving when they saw an object approaching from the North, the car engine died and the headlights went out. It flew over the car and then hovered 400 meters away. After 10 minutes, they were able to start their car and leave. The object had a waffle-like surface and glowed with an intense red light. I love waffles. Now that reminds me an awful lot of the swamp gas case, which was the first episode. So you guys weren't with me on that one, but the manners, Frank manner described the object that flew over his farmhouse as having a waffle like surface. And that was also in 1966, Mm. but it was in Michigan and Mm. it also had, you know, a red light. So that's very, very similar, very similar. March 28th at eight o'clock Fayetteville, Tennessee, a man driving saw a large lighted object one meter above the road on a hill hilltop. It was oval seven meters long gray. It had 30 lights along its edge. It flew off. And as it did so, the car engine stopped and the headlights went out or blew out and had to be replaced later. March 30th, 740 Picos, Texas so at 740 in the morning. These are all military times. Picos, Texas, an elongated object, 30 meters long and nine meters high landed near a highway for five minutes. And that's all there is to that one. March. It would be zero 047 if it was a military time. Zero 0740. Yeah. 
March 30th, 2035, so 835, Lexburg, Indiana, a woman and four children saw an oval object cross the road as they were driving. It came close to the car, and when it got near, they heard a pulsating sound. It increased in frequency as it got nearer. The sound seemed to come through the car radio, not directly through the object. So, like, it's, dude, that's a real thing, by the way, that, like... That yeah. that can be um, older radios, the way they were designed, like the wires weren't insulated as well. And even if you have a newer radio that might have a, a wiring problem where it can pick up that stuff, but it can pick up interference that can cause that's oh, that's crazy, man. So it it had the sound was coming through the radio, not directly from the object. They drove away afraid of the object. It followed them for 13 kilometers. Its color changed from reddish orange to bluish white before it accelerated out of sight. Again, that reddish orange description that is familiar to so many of these 1966 encounters. March 30th, Mansfield, Ohio, an anonymous witness saw a round object with two lights land near the Ohio State University campus. A door opened and a very thin child-sized figure was seen. The object then began to move towards the witness's car and rose rapidly. March 31st, I know, that's right? freaky. That, yeah. yeah, fuck, fuck that shit, dude. <laughs> yep, that, that's that, that that that's bordering like on the uh, the paranormal, you know, like 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 letting spirits into your house and stuff, and like like being confronted with that kind of stuff. Like, oh no, no, dude, that that that's the, that's the, that is definitely the kind of stuff that freaks me the fuck out. Yes, you know, like and. Also, there, there's a lot more to these cases, but just for the sake of brevity, because this is this episode is about the Westall incident, so I wanted to go over these. These are just real brief descriptions. You can find yeah. more about some of these, but we're just going over them real quick, just to, just to demonstrate the similarities. So on March 31st, at 0200 hours, or, you know, 2 in the morning, Vicksburg, Michigan, a man driving home saw lights on the road and saw a gray lens-shaped object hovering at one meter altitude. It had an intense white light and three colored flashing lights. He got within two meters of it, but became afraid and backed up. As he did, it flew over and behind him. He heard a noise similar to a swarm of bees as it flew over. It left at high speed toward the east. And we have different varying descriptions. For example, lens-shaped or football shaped or a saucer shape seen on edge or a swarm of bees. What could that sound like? A swarm of bees could also be described as a drill sound. You know what I mean? If you heard a drill, it sounds certain- to me like, like the end of life. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I am personally, I'm, I'm allergic to bees. Yeah. And, and I've had a, uh, experience one time where I was at work and, um, I, I learned later that a queen bee was being followed by a swarm of bees because they were looking for a new spot to uh, land, I guess, or set up spot, you know, set, set up shop, you know. And, and um, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, it, it was absolutely terrifying to me because, all right. So at the time, at my work, I was, I was making, um, you know, uh, like like vaping juice. You know what I mean, and so I was going to this uh this this one guy that I worked with. His name was D'Antoni, yeah, his last name at least. 
and um, I was going there to to sell him a couple bottles of a uh, of of a vaping juice, you know. And as soon as I opened my door, I heard this buzz, and I looked up in the sky, like right above me, and I saw like a swarm, you know. Like I was just like, "What the fuck is that?" And like, "Oh goddamn, those are bees," you know. And like I said, I'm allergic to bees, you know. And so I saw my life like like flash like before my eyes. <laughs> You know what I mean, like, yeah, it, it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh God, I'm, I might, I might die right now, right now." You know, and, and um, I closed my doors, and the queen bee like, like landed like in front of my car, and I, I shortly thereafter, you know, pulled away, and I didn't, I did, I did not sell D'Antoni any juice that day. <laughs> you know, like it was just <laughs> like, hey. Like, this happened, you know, like, and I had to avoid it, you know. So I, I got, I got the hell out, you know. It, <laughs> yeah. it was, but I, I, I can't tell you how like terrified I was because I, you know, like I said, I'm allergic, I'm allergic to bee stings, and so like it, it's not the way, like, like I have to carry, you know, uh, what, what is it called, um, epipen? E- yeah, epipen. Yeah, I have to, I have to carry that on me. Uh, if I want to survive a bee sting, you know what I mean? Like I'll swell up and shit and I might make it, uh, you know, a little while, but I'll have to, I'll have to go to the hospital very, very, you know, shortly thereafter, you know? So yeah, I have to carry an uh, EpiPen on me, you know, if I want to survive that kind of an ordeal, you know? So, well, but at any rate though, like, 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 like I said, that was like quite the experience for me. Like, like it was just like, like holy shit! I almost died there. Like I, I most definitely could have died. You know, if it, like any number of those bees would have stung me. You know, like I, I, there's no, there's no nothing you can do. I could have been in the parking lot of a hospital and been stung by that many bees or what have you. And there, there's there, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, like it's just you're you're dead. You know, <laughs> so yeah, that that was a uh. You know, a very, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a traumatic experience because I, I did not get stung, but I luckily closed the door to my car very fast. Because, like I said, I got out of the car. I saw the swarm. The swarm of those bees were literally, like, right next to me. Like, they were right there. I heard this, like, crazy buzz. You know, like, the, the, the vibrations of the entire swarm. You know what I mean? Well, what in like a, a a UFO to me, a UFO that sounded like bees to me sounds like me crapping my pants. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe, oh yeah, maybe maybe not quite like death, but all right, let's get yeah. to a couple more of these. So, um, March thirty first, Hamilton, Canada, at twenty one fifteen, a thirteen year old girl, or uh, I don't know, it was a girl, it was just a thirteen year old. A thirteen year old saw two objects, two I think it was a boy actually, yeah. Uh, Two objects, two and a half meters long and one and a half meters tall with flashing lights. They landed and he touched an antenna on one of them and got an electric shock. That one sounds like it might be a tall tale, but I included it just because it was kind of fun. April 1st, Tanifer, Oklahoma at 2240. A man was driving and saw an object flying north at a very high speed. He heard a shrieking noise and it had a heat wave. His car engine failed. And he said the object was higher or wider. I'm sorry. The object was wider than the road on April 1st, Liberty, Missouri at 2400. 
a mother and daughter saw two star-like objects land in a field. One rose rapidly when a train came into view. It went behind a hill where the second one hovered at tree height with its lights off. When the train passed, both objects landed again and two man-like shadows were seen. They heard voices shouting in a foreign language and a sound like a pig being butchered. That's crazy, dude. So, like, I've never heard a pig being butchered, but I have heard a pig making a lot of noise, and it, it it's pretty unpleasant. It it sounds... Oh, they, can, they can definitely it, squeal. It sounds close enough to human. You know, you, you know it's not human, but it sounds close enough to where it's really fucking creepy. Just like, I don't know, it creeps me out. Because oh, when the community college I went to had like a farming program, and one day I was in the parking lot waiting for another class, and I just heard this this blood curdling just scream for like fifteen minutes. I don't know what they were doing. What what was wrong with the pig? I don't know. Maybe it was giving birth. Who knows? But this pig was not happy, and it was making a lot of noise, and it was just creepy as all heck. All right, April fourth at zero six zero five or zero six hundred and five hours. I don't know. Hog, Florida. A man saw an object resting on the ground on his way back to work, or his way to work. It was an elongated shape, two meters long, 77 meters tall. He tried to touch it, but it left at a great speed to the west. It had six openings, 10 centimeter in diameter, and made a turbine noise so loud the witness had to cover his ears. After going a few meters, it suddenly disappeared. Now, a turbine noise, you know, if you heard it under the right circumstances, could sound like a drill noise. You know, or even a even a B noise. So it's sort of some similarities there, perhaps. April 5th at uh, Weichenproof, Australia. A man was driving when his headlight beams bent to the right. He saw a vertical conical beam of light in a nearby field. It was white at ground level, but rainbow up to 7 meters. And the object w- that was creating the beam, which we don't have a great description of, flew away. And that was, by the way, in Australia which was uh, April 5th, which was, you know, pretty much right around the time of this sighting, the Westall incident that we're talking about. So we're like, it's like the day before or something. What was this? April 6th, I think. So another yeah. one, April 5th at 0130 at Durhamville, New York, a woman was awakened by a flash. She thought that her heater had exploded, but it turns out it was fine. The next day, two other witnesses told her that they saw a pulsating luminous object fly low over her trailer, circle it, and leave. They heard a low buzzing sound. That one gives me the chills right there, dude. Oh, no, thank you. No, sir, I do not like that one bit. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. thanks. Um, let's see. I got, I got a bunch more of these, but that's probably enough to get you the idea, you know, of basically we have... Dude, that's just like a few days there. That's like from what the 23rd to the 5th of the next, like that's a couple weeks and that's only, mm-hmm. only encounters where something was seen low to the ground or on the ground. That That's not all the UFO encounters. That's we're talking about just the tip of the iceberg here. There's so many sightings in 66 around this time, especially it's just, dude, it's so it's, it just boggles the mind. You know, so many sightings, credible sightings, you know, like a we lot. said, it's one of those, one of those hot spots. You yeah. Know? It, it's, there's a, 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 a ton of stuff going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, 
I could go on and on and on with these. I love reading about all these old sightings, but at some point you're like, well, maybe we should just do a whole separate episode for the, for those sightings, you know, cause we're getting kind of year. Yeah. We're getting a little long here on this particular one. And at some, yeah, at some point I would like to go grab another beer or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there, the official explanation to wrap it all up, the official explanation of the Westall sightings was, uh, can you guess? I think we already said, but yeah, weather balloon. <laughs> you know, come well, on. That's that's one of the expl- explanations that came out. Yeah. And to be fair. But, oh, sorry, ETA, you cut out there. What what were you saying? Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, you know, but like uh, my, my opinion, as far as like the explanation of what may have happened, is uh, there are so many people that ex- experienced this incident um it's one of those ones where i give it great credit i think something really happened here you know so, some kind of incident whatever it may have been some something really happened like there there are, are, are different cases like you know that we have covered where you know you don't have as many people experiencing this incident you know and uh, just because of the sheer amount of people that, that they experience, had this experience, um, I think something really happened here. In my opinion, I think that they really did have whether there's only two different expl- explanations. In my uh, opinion, it was a UFO, or it was you know um, it was like a a, a, a plane, or you know government technology that they had a hold of that they were experimenting with and it went down in this particular area you know because they didn't have you know enough control over or what have you you know so i think something definitely happened here this wasn't this not this is not a nothing burger you know what i mean something happened here i couldn't tell you exactly what it was but something definitely happened you know i i know that's very vague but like th- this is not one of those uh, those cases where you could just chalk it up to some somebody being you know um, mentally deranged or you know so- somebody who experienced something that, that they that didn't really happen you know so I think I think that this is a real experience whatever happened definitely happened and you know uh, I don't I, I couldn't tell you exactly what that was but you know it, it's it's one of those cases where um, I find it very compelling, and and I think I think uh, there there's substance here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's one of the better ones we've looked at. And whatever you think happened, something happened, and it was something unusual. Now, to be yeah. fair to the weather balloon explanation, to be fair, if you look at a weather balloon from a specific angle, specific types of weather balloons can actually look a lot like a flying saucer. Just Google pictures of weather balloons and you will see a couple of pictures that do look a little bit like a flying saucer. But Mm -hmm. weather balloons do not maneuver like this thing was described. And they only look like a flying saucer from a specific angle, right? If you look at it from any other angle, it looks like a sort of a teardrop-shaped thing. You know, they're very long... And they don't look like saucers at all. They're not saucer-shaped. It's kind of ridiculous to think that that's the explanation. But that is the official 
explanation. That's probably Kruger in the live show chat. He just, it looks like he got disconnected. Hold on just a second. Let's see what he's saying. Yeah, he says, my power just went out. Oh, geez. I I guess they're having inclement weather. So um, he probably won't be able to make it back online for the end of the episode, but uh, maybe his power will come back on. But anyways, in the meantime, so despite... Uh, Well, despite, I mean, the the Australian government has released documents on other UFO cases, but despite that, there have been zero documents released on this case. People have done FOIA requests or whatever the equivalent is in Australia. I don't know if that's what they call it, but they have something similar. People have done requests for the documents and the government has come back with, um, we don't have anything on that. We have nothing at all. Nothing. The military says... It didn't happen. We weren't there. Our troops weren't there. Our soldiers weren't there. Our airplanes weren't there. The police weren't there. Nobody was there. And if you look at some of these documents, police did assist with UFO type stuff in Australia. So that that was part of their normal response. So it's not unusual that they were there in this particular incident. That was just sort of par for the course. Yeah. Now, if we can believe the witnesses as multiple witnesses saw soldiers and police and fire there, there would have been a paper trail. There would have been reports. There would have been things that were documented. So that would exist. That means that they are covering this up or they did cover this up as many, many witnesses said that they did. Now I find this very, very interesting. The complete lack of, of documentation for this case, I think is possibly more interesting than getting the documentation for this case, the complete absence of the documentation, right? Because we know for a fact that they were there, they were there. So why is there no documentation whatsoever? I find Mm -hmm. that highly interesting. Now, again, like we said, many witnesses were threatened to not talk about it. And even the principal of the school, (laughs) he didn't threaten, but he suggested or he ordered or whatever you want to say it. He said that they shouldn't talk about it. I mean, it's, I'm convinced this was an official cover-up, like a definitely an official cover-up. At the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Now the weather balloon in question, I just took a little notation on this because they did specifically cite Project Highball, H-I-B-A-L, not the drink, but similar, I guess. It's spelled similar. Is I guess Highball would be two L's. I don't know. The high, Project Highball was, uh, it was just, I found a description of it, and it said, the Mildura Balloon Launching Station was established in 1960 by the Department of Supply on behalf of the United States Atomic Energy Commission to determine the content of radioactive material in the upper atmosphere over Australia. I actually found like a whole a whole paper like a whole article or a whole paper on this project. I didn't read it all because it's not really super relevant since we don't think it's a weather balloon anyways, but uh that's what they they said it was specifically. It was Project Highball. It's like, okay, sure. You know, it's so sort of like it occurred to me, you know the story of the boy who cried wolf. Like, dude, you can't just call everything a weather oh, yeah. balloon, you know? <laughs> at some point, even if it was a weather balloon, at some point, we're just going to stop believing that entirely, you know? Because well, it's either it's either a weather balloon or it's uh, the 
you know, Venus, you know. Yeah. Your your anus, what? <laughs> Venus, Saturn. Oh, oh Venus, like Venus, right. Yeah. No, in some UFO cases, there are some UFO sightings that can plausibly be explained by a weather balloon. That is an explanation, particularly earlier on when weather balloons were fairly new and people hadn't seen them. In fact, even nowadays, how often do you actually see a weather balloon? Not that often. Well, well, In fact, lately uh, from China, you know. Oh, yeah. We, we, we've seen <laughs> some. Those pesky Chinese weather balloons, right. Yeah, but <laughs> as far as like a, a big, you know, 60-foot tall weather balloon, I don't know. that. I don't think I've ever seen one myself. So there's still, you don't see them. They're not super common. Maybe if you live near a place where they launch them all the time, you would see them, but I don't recall ever seeing one. So mm. if I, if I did see one under the right circumstances, perhaps I would think it was a UFO. So that is a plausible explanation in some cases, but not in this one, <laughs> you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll see, we talked about the U2. That's another one, uh, another plausible explanation. Or or uh, skeptical explanation, I should yeah, say, I is the U2. Google a picture of the U2. I'm not going to go into any depth on that one because it's just ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, wasn't a U2. And also another one I read about was a satellite re-entry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's even sillier than a U2. So I'm not going to even give that one any time whatsoever other than just to say. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much all I had on this. And uh, I guess the epilogue is that the city of Kingston made a UFO-themed kids' park or playground to sort of commemorate the event in the area. I guess they put it yeah. on, the, on the area that they called the Grange. That's sort of the area outside the school where it landed. I guess that's what they refer to it as. It now has a, um, a UFO-themed kids' park there, which is kind of cool, I guess, you know. Maybe I'll go someday and play on the the monkey bars and... People will be like, "What? Hey, oi! What are you doing on our monkey bars?" This is my crappy Australian accent. There, <laughs> be like, "Oh, I'm just really excited about UFOs." Be like, oh, "Hey, get, hey, get off, get off! This is for kids, you know." <laughs> mm-hmm. Go all the way, fly all the way over there just to play on the monkey bars. <laughs> but anyways, that I mean, that's pretty much all I had. Any final thoughts besides what you said already, Agent ETA? Sounds like he might have cut out there. Can Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. There you are. Yeah, you cut out there for a little bit. I couldn't tell if you were saying oh, no, anything. No, no, I didn't cut out. You cut out. Oh, did I cut out? No, I didn't cut out. You cut out. Well, same difference. So, so what, <laughs> what, what were you asking me here now? Oh, I, I just say that's about it for this episode. It pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. We, we've covered the uh, majority of what needs to be covered. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, I have to wake up e- e- Agent Ether here so we can get to keep it strange, but... Before we get out of here, okay. let's talk about oh, Schoolyard UFO Encounters, 100 True Accounts by Preston Dennett. This is a book about, you guessed it, Schoolyard UFO Encounters. Believe it or not, there's a ton of these. I mentioned a couple of other ones during the episode, and also we did a previous encounter, or previous episode about encounter in Zimbabwe. So check out the, check it out, the Link to the book is in the description. It's an affiliate link. Your purchase, uh, an affiliate link, your, it doesn't cost you anything extra, and your purchase helps to support the show. That's all we got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening.
Keep it strange. All right. She woke up for the keep it strange. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody.